0: All right, let's do that. And I'm looking up there. There's nothing on the screen there yet, Tyler. uh, But I know we got it. All righty. Israel, God's timepiece. How many of you have asked yourself, what in the world is going on in this world? I mean, every day, isn't it something in the news that kind of rocks and rolls you and shakes and rattles you? I mean, isn't it amazing what's going on in our world? And it never stops. Right when I think that uh, we've seen... Uh, you know, uh, the worst atrocities we're going to see or the Middle East has gotten as bad as it's going to get, then there's something new virtually every day. And we've been sharing, uh, last time we met together, before uh, Pastor Jeff Little was here, and wasn't he great? I sure appreciated Pastor Jeff and the praise team. But um, we shared last time about Israel being God's timepiece when it comes to um, prophecy, Bible prophecy, especially end-time prophecy, Israel is God's timepiece. You watch Israel like a hawk, and we're going to see tonight a little bit more on this, but let's, let's backtrack a little bit and just look at what we uh, saw last time. We, we saw that Jesus answered three questions put to him by the disciples following his prediction that the glorious temple in Jerusalem was going to be utterly destroyed. This was amazing for them to hear this. It looked absolutely impossible. This temple was one of the wonders of the world. It looked invincible. The last place you would ever have imagined would be brought down with not one stone left on top of another was the temple. But it's what Jesus said. He said, you see all these things? He said, there's not going to be one stone left upon another. It's going to be totally destroyed. So they asked three questions. The first question, tell us, when will these things, the destruction of the temple, be? Now, remember, I said that little phrase, these things, matters. Because the these things is what he had just talked about. He wasn't talking about way down the tunnel of time into our day. They were not asking about our time. He said... This temple is coming down. They said, when will these things be? All right? Now the second question, what will be the sign of your coming? The Greek word parousia. Parousia. It's it's the personal return of Jesus to the earth, the literal return of the person of Jesus Christ to planet earth. He's coming back. So, So they said, when will the destruction of the temple happen? And while we're at it, what's going to be the sign of your coming? And then the third question, and what's going to be the sign of the end of the age? So three questions. Now, I believe Mark and Luke only ask or record, Mark and Luke both record two questions, but Matthew adds the third, what will be the sign of the end of the age? Now, Jesus answered the questions one by one, just like we would. All right? He took them in order, as a matter of fact. And the majority of what we find in Matthew 24 and Luke 21, the same questions are posed to him. And Mark 13, the same thing. That's where uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke simply dealt with this themselves. Uh, Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13. In, In those chapters, in those books, is Christ's reply to the first question. He wanted them to fully understand what was soon to come upon their generation and their city, Jerusalem. Remember when we looked at Jerusalem and he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times I would have gathered you like a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. And he said, you're going to be destroyed because you did not recognize the hour of your visitation. See, God visited in the person of Christ and they didn't recognize it. So Jesus wept over the city. Now, he wanted them to understand in answering the first question what signs they were going to see coming to pass before the temple was destroyed. And we saw that every single sign Jesus predicted happened. It's there in the history books for anybody to go find and read about. We saw that within 40 years of Jesus' prediction for Jerusalem uh, to experience all these things, All of his prophecies came to pass. The city was surrounded by enemies, the Romans. Those who knew of his warnings to to flee, when you see the city surrounded by an enemy, flee. We saw that those who knew his word and believed in him fled to the hills. And the Romans breached the walls, breached the gates, and the temple was utterly destroyed. Not one stone was left standing upon another only 40 years after Jesus said it. So everybody say to me, prophet Jesus. See, I, I've learned that he's more than the Savior, even though the Savior is glorious. Thank God he's our Savior. He's the Messiah, but he's also the greatest teacher that ever lived, the greatest philosopher that ever lived, and the greatest prophet that ever lived, prophet Jesus. He nailed it every time. Now, let me ask you a question. If he was that accurate 40 years down the road, you think the rest of what he predicted about the end times is going to be accurate as well? Not one jot, not one tittle will pass away till all is fulfilled. He's a prophet. He was the great prophet, is a great prophet. Now, this destruction of the temple was a remarkable fulfillment of prophecy. Remarkable. Spoken by the greatest prophet of all time, the Lord Jesus Christ. The surviving Jews were scattered to the four corners of the world without a place to call a homeland. Until 1948, the 20th century, they waited 20th century, 20 centuries to be restored to a homeland. 20 centuries they wandered. When this happened, when they became a nation again in 1948, it was a fulfillment of many Bible prophecies. How many of you realize that that your Bible is about a quarter prophecy? And you know that's one of the great uh, signs and, and proofs that the Bible is the Word of God because only God knows the end from the beginning. Only God knows what will be before it is. Only God knows what the end is going to be before the beginning even begins. So the Bible is about a quarter prophecy, and Jesus really contributed a lot of prophecy to that. Now, Ezekiel had predicted. Look at what Ezekiel predicted about Jerusalem or or Israel, the Jewish people returning to their homeland. He said, surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, wherever they have gone, and will gather them from every side and bring them into where? Their own land. Let's look at another one. Or this is continuing with Ezekiel. When I have brought them back from the nations and have gathered them from the countries of their enemies, I will show myself holy through them in the sight of many Nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God. For though I sent them into exile among the nations, I will gather them where everyone to their own land, not leaving any behind. Ezekiel thirty-nine. Now here's what the prophet Amos said about the Jewish people being restored to their homeland. He wrote, "The days are coming," declares the Lord, "when I will bring back my exiled people, Israel." They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel, where again? In their own land. Never again to be uprooted from the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. Folks, no matter what the hostile nations of the world do, the Jewish people are in Israel to stay. They're there to stay. Now let's look at a couple of others because this is pure prophecy. Centuries... I mean, many, many, many centuries, uh, 23, 24 centuries before all this happened. Jeremiah the prophet wrote again. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Write in a book all the words I've spoken to you. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will bring my people Israel and Judah back from captivity and restore them to the land I gave their forefathers to possess, says the Lord. Who did God give the land to? The Jewish people. Jeremiah 31.10, hear the word of the Lord, O nations, proclaim it in distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel will gather them and will watch over his flock like a shepherd. And then one more verse, I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity. will rebuild them as they were before. So when Israel became a nation again, after 20 centuries of wandering, displacement, persecution, Nowhere to lay their head, persecuted in every nation they went to, and the worst of the worst happening right before they were restored to their homeland when they went through that horrific holocaust under the Nazis. Matter of fact, here's what I've come to understand, that really it was because of that holocaust that there was compassion on the Jewish people among the other nations of the world, particularly our nation and our president back then, Harry Truman, that they were granted a homeland. So when they were restored in 1948, and overnight the nation of Israel was reborn, it was in the minds of many, many scholars, the greatest fulfillment of Bible prophecy in modern times. And I would have to say, I agree with that. The restor- restoration of Israel, as a nation again, overnight, when they were declared a nation, 1967, when they took Jerusalem again, was one of the greatest fulfillment. Of Bible prophecy in modern times because I believe that set in motion the end of the end times. Now after answering the first question, Jesus moved on to the second and third questions and here they were again. What will be the sign of your coming and what will be the sign of the end of the age? And Matthew picks up the Lord's answer in Matthew uh, verses 29 through 31 and we're still in Matthew 24 Verses 29 to 31. Here's what Jesus said. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. What's the tribulation of those days? The destruction of Jerusalem. You with me? Okay. The tribulation he's referring to is the destruction of Jerusalem and of the temple. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then... The sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now stay with me, because I know what you're thinking. Many people have stumbled over verses 29 and 30, where Jesus uses the word Immediately. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, you're going to see these signs in the heavens and so on and so forth. Because he goes on to predict the sun being darkened, the moon not giving light, the stars falling from heaven. And right after that, the Son of Man returning. So you say, well, wait a minute, Jeff. How can that happen immediately after the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple? because it would have already all taken place, right, a long time ago, because Jesus said immediately. So nod with me if you're with me, okay? That's thrown a lot of people. First, we need to understand that in verse 29, Jesus is using apocalyptic language, as did many of the prophets of the Old Testament. One commentator writes, The words reproduce the imagery in which Isaiah had described the day of the Lord's judgment upon Babylon and may naturally receive the same symbolic interpretation. Now notice he refers to Isaiah 13.10. Let's read that verse and tell me if it doesn't sound like what Jesus predicted. Isaiah 13.10 reads, The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Does that not sound exactly like what Jesus said, or at least very, very similar? All right. This is apocalyptic imagery. It's not necessarily to be taken literally, but to express the impact of cataclysmic events that will shake the earth before Christ's return. The example there in Isaiah is only one of many where prophets used apocalyptic imagery to let us know that something really heavy, really cataclysmic was coming. And many believe that's what Jesus was doing, and I, I happen to believe that. All right? Now, in verse 30, where Jesus uses the word immediately, I turn to another Bible commentator who writes this, quote, How are we to explain the fact that already more than 20 centuries have rolled away and the promise of his coming still tarries when Jesus said, Immediately. It's a partial answer to the question to say that God's measurements of time are not as man's and that with him a thousand years are as one day. See, God doesn't dwell in time. Are you with me? He doesn't say, boy, I'm bored. Time is going slow. Or he doesn't say, I can't believe how fast the years are going by. Because God doesn't dwell in years or months or days or time. He dwells in an eternal present tense. So that Peter was able to say, hey, with the Lord, a thousand years or as one day and one day as a thousand years. You, you may feel like it's been a long time since Jesus went back into heaven. And now we're 21 centuries past his resurrection and ascension back into glory. Why is it taking so long? But to God, a thousand years is like a day. And a day is like a thousand years. The word immediately, therefore, merely signifies a time break between what Jesus just predicted, the signs leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem, and then way down the tunnel of time to our day, to the cataclysmic events that would take place leading up to his visible, literal return to earth. It's just that simple. Now again, let's notice that most everything he says revolves around Israel. If you want to know what's happening in the prophetic arena, you need to keep your eye peeled on Israel. And believe me, there's a lot to follow every single day. Now, as we noted last time, the prophets all pointed to the uh, relevance that Israel will hold throughout history, but especially in the last days. And I believe, folks, that we're in the last of the last days. Let me tell you something about the last days. When that phrase, the last days, didn't kick in in the 20th century. The last days refers to the time following Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection all the way up to now. That's the last days. The last days are the final days when Christ has been uh, crucified, buried, resurrected, and ascended back into glory. That began the last days. Are you aware of that? Because, you know, the last days is something tossed around a whole lot in our time. But we've been in the last days for 21 centuries. But you know where I believe we are right now? In the last of the last days. Boy, you guys are thinking tonight. (laughs) I can feel it. Well, Pastor Jeff, I, I was always told we were the last days. No, the last days began when Jesus rose from the dead. And I I could prove that to you if I had more time, but uh, many of the times that the the apostles used the phrase, the last days, well, they were talking about their time as well as ours. They knew they were in the last days. Didn't the writer of Hebrews say, in these last days he has spoken to us through his son? Didn't he say that? In these last days. Well, he was in the first century. But he said, in these last days, God has spoken to us through his son. So all this time has been the last days. But I believe when Israel became a nation again, as we're going to see tonight, because Ezekiel is going to use the phrase last days as well, when Israel became a nation again, we went into, I believe the last of the last days, hourglass was turned upside down. Let's move on. Zechariah 12, uh, verses 2 and 3. Talking about the last days, Zechariah predicts, I will make Jerusalem and Judah like a cup of poison to all the nearby nations that send their armies to surround Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be a heavy stone burdening the world. Is that not amazing? Doesn't that just give you holy ghost bumps? Because is Israel, even today, right now, as I speak, is Israel not burdening the world? Hello, everybody. Israel is burdening the world. It's all that's in the news right now. And though all the nations of the earth unite in an attempt to move her, read the last few words with me, they will all be crushed. Now that prophecy from Zechariah is going to be confirmed by Ezekiel. Let me show you. As we draw closer to the return of Christ, Israel will continue to figure ever more prominently in world events. One Bible prophecy yet to be fulfilled has Israel at the very epicenter of world events, and we find it in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 38:39, you ought to read those two chapters when you go home tonight. In Ezekiel 38:39, those two chapters, the Bible warns of a coming war between guess who? read it with me. Who? Iran. Is Iran in the news? Isn't somebody in leadership in this country negotiating with them right now? Can everybody say President Obama? And Israel, a war, Ezekiel says there's going to be a war between Iran and Israel. It's going to take place sometime after Israel has been regathered into her land as a nation. And again, that was fulfilled in 48. Now, this prophetic war has never yet taken place. I want want you to really get this. There has never been the kind of war with the players involved that we're about to read about. It has never happened in history anywhere. It's yet to be fulfilled. This war that Ezekiel predicts will be unlike any other war in history. This war is going to unleash a series of irreversible events that will change the world forever. God has set aside two whole chapters in the Bible to warn mankind of this coming war. So since God took two chapters to give it to us, shouldn't we understand it? The Bible warns the U.S., I'm sorry to say, will not defend Israel. Now, if I had just taught this 20 years ago, you would have said, Jeff, you're crazy. We're we're an ally of Israel. Where are we now? How are we being led right now? Is is, is Israel feeling a whole lot of warm, fuzzy love from us right now? No. For the first time in the history of America, well, since Israel became a nation, we have a president who is is distinctly anti-Israel and pro-Islamic. Now, you can say, Jeff, that's not true, and and, and you shouldn't say something like that. You know, I'm done with all the PC stuff. I'm going to say what I see. I'm going to say it. And good grief. I mean, we we learned a long time ago when we were children that, that it's actions that matter, not words. So when you look at the actions, no, we haven't been behind Israel at all. As a matter of fact, we right now as a nation Our leadership in Washington has set its face against Israel. And and, and this is really uncanny. Look into these prophecies that have to do with the last days. Uh, Ezekiel shows that no nation will stand with Israel when she's attacked in a way that we're going to look at in just a moment. For when this coming war does finally start, the United States will be either unwilling or unable to help Israel defend herself. We see no one in Ezekiel's prophecy coming to Israel's defense but God. Now even though the Bible warns the invading armies will be ultimately destroyed by God himself, it will be a devastating war for both Israel and the whole world. Bible scholars are divided as to whether this coming war is part of the prophetic battle of Armageddon or will just precede Armageddon, sort of be the fuse to ignite Armageddon in order to prepare a path for the Antichrist who will enforce a peace plan upon Israel? Will it give the Antichrist, this war, the opportunity to step into chaos and enforce a seven-year peace treaty as we understand from the book of Revelation and from Daniel? And that seven-year peace treaty will trigger the final prophetic seven-year period of time which God has set aside for Israel and the world called the apocalypse. Now, whether or not this Ezekiel war uh, is the fuse to Armageddon or or it kind of stands alone, it is yet to happen. And as you're about to see, all the players that Ezekiel identifies are in line and in place as enemies hostile to Israel right now. Let's read some of Ezekiel's prophecy Ezekiel 38, 1 through 9. Now, before I read it, let me just forewarn you. He's going to name some nations that you're not going to recognize at all. But I'm going to show you who these nations are now in modern times. So if you don't understand the name, don't let it throw you. You'll understand more in a moment. He says, Now the word of the Lord, says Ezekiel, came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company, with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords, Persia... Ethiopia, Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all its troops, the house of Togarma from the far north and all its troops. Many people are with you. Prepare yourself and be ready. You and all your companies that are gathered about you and be a guard for them. Now look what he says in verse 8, after many days you will be visited. Then when does he say? In the latter years, you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel. So here he's identifying Israel having been restored as a nation. In the latter years, Israel, which had long been desolate, They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. So he is identifying an enemy in the latter years who will come down against Israel after she has been restored as a nation. That's now. He said, you will ascend, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud. You and all your troops and many peoples with you. Now, the nation's Ezekiel names are these. Let me just bring it home to you to modern times. Gog, Magog, Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal point to Russia, which Ezekiel further identifies as the land of the uttermost north. Look what he says in verse 15 of chapter 38. Then you will come from your place out of the far north. King James says the uttermost north. There's only one landmaster, the uttermost north on our globe, and that is Russia. Now, isn't it uncanny that here you've got Russia? Well, let me read the rest, and then I'll I'll, I'll elaborate. Then he names Persia, which includes the landmass of what is now modern-day Iran, Iraq, and Afghanistan. Then Ethiopia, which is today's Ethiopia, and the Sudan. Next is Libya, which is still Libya. Then we have Gomer, which includes today's Eastern Europe, and Togarma, which comprises Southeastern Europe, including Turkey. And notice he says he didn't, he didn't give us a, an exhaustive list, he gave us some of them. But then at the end, he tags it with, and many peoples with you will descend like a cloud. Upon Israel, that will then be at the very center of the world's attention. Amen. Now, folks, let me just stop right here and tell you here's what Ezekiel is saying. He said, The Lord spoke to me. He came to me, he said, Here's what I want you to write. He said, In the latter years, when my people have been brought back from many nations and have become a nation again, I am going to speak to the heart of who he identifies as Gog and Magog. This this war has sometimes been called the the Gog-Magog War. Some have called it the Ezekiel War. Some have called it the Fuse to Armageddon War. But whatever it is, he he said, I'm going to speak to Gog and Magog. I'm going to put hooks in their jaw. And they are going to have many allies with them. And those allies are right now rabidly Islamic Haters of Israel, they want Israel wiped off the map. I find it very interesting that he identifies first, right out of the chute, after Russia, Persia, which is Iran, and Iraq, and Afghanistan. What is Iran saying all the time? Look at the, look at the power of Bible prophecy. What's Iran saying all the time? I want to vaporize Israel. We want the bombs so we can take them off the map. We don't want, to, we don't want a two-state solution. Hello, church. There is no two-state solution. They don't want to live happily ever after, next-door neighbors of the Jewish people. They want Israel taken off the map. They have said so, and they want us going right behind them. You know why? Because we're the great Satan. They're the little Satan. But because we've been allied with Israel, till now, we've been the great Satan. Here you've got Ezekiel. Centuries before Christ, seeing millennia down the road and saying, I see a regathered Israel. And I see a huge conglomeration, a huge attack from Russia, from Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Turkey, Europe, they will come down like a cloud upon my people. Would you be real surprised if you were to wake up tomorrow morning and read that this happened? Or turn on the TV and see that this happened? No. no. It's very... Uh, uh, um, I can easily conceptualize it now. But 30 years ago we couldn't. But we can now. Now I want you to think about something with me here. Even 100 years ago this prophecy would have seemed Impossible there was no nation of Israel a hundred years ago and there was no Palestinian nation that is a myth. I want you to say with me the whole notion of a Palestinian nation is a myth. It was a myth. It wasn't there. The, The actual truth is Israel was sparsely populated with a few nomadic people, some Arabs, a smattering of Jews and that was it. The land of Israel a hundred years ago was undeveloped filled with swamps and marshes and uncultivated land of all the real estate in the world it was certainly the least coveted but now folks israel Is filled with lush plains and green valleys. It's a nation again. It's a nuclear power. It possesses one of the most feared militaries in the world. It's a thriving democracy and national and international success story. Not only success story, but phenomenon. And as Ezekiel predicted, it is surrounded... By hostile nations, all identified by Ezekiel, who want her utterly destroyed. Can you believe this? Can you, can you believe what we're looking, seeing, fulfilled right in front of our eyes? Now you say, well, Jeff, what's going to happen when these nations descend upon little bitty Israel that's not even the size of New Jersey? You got Russia, Iran, Iraq, all the, all, most of Europe coming down against little bitty Israel to wipe her out. What's going to happen? Well, though no nation stands with her, not even America, I am sad to say. This is what Bible prophecy tells us. Though no nation stands with her, God does. And if God be for her, who can be against her? Let me read to you what the Bible says. In Ezekiel 39, you ought to go home and read it. I don't have time tonight to read the whole thing. But, boy, is it something. The Bible goes on to warn the invading armies will be utterly destroyed. By God. Ezekiel 39 also hints that this coming war may go nuclear because Israel will wait months to enter the battlefield after the battle. They will, quote, set apart men regularly employed, professionals, to bury the dead, and later, if a bone is spotted, it's to be marked for the professionals to bury. Are we up and running? sort of. There we go. (laughs) We get it to you one way or the other, folks. Now, uh, so these are exactly the same procedures, going out, waiting months before you go and bury the bodies because of radioactivity. And I find it interesting. I really do. What is the whole issue with Iran right now? They want nuclear power. And they don't need nuclear power for power because they're loaded with oil. Why do they want nuclear power? We all know why. They want the bomb. And they should not be given even a sliver of an open door to get it. But, you know, God's word is going to be true no matter what. And when you read Ezekiel 39, it, you can't get away from the fact that it sounds very, very nuclear. Zechariah describes it like this. Zechariah says, and I know this is kind of gross, but I'm just going i am quoting the Bible. He says, "Their eyes will burn out of their head and their tongue out of their mouth while they stand on their feet." That's nuclear. He saw it now. These these procedures of finding the dead bodies and burying them way later, and if you find a bone, marking it, and having professionals come and get it, these are exactly the same procedures that are now found in our military, nuclear, biological, chemical, battlefield cleanup manuals today. The aftermath of this invasion will be very, very gruesome. Now the bottom line is this. If you want to know what's happening on God's prophetic calendar, watch Israel closely and what other nations do towards her including ours all things are lining up for the final cataclysmic events predicted by the prophets and by jesus himself so as paul wrote we live in perilous times but god has everything under control amen so let's stand up tonight can we And, Father, we just thank you right now that the Word of God is true, and it's powerful, and it's sobering. But yet, Lord, we know we also live in a time of incredible harvest of souls. And, Lord, as these dark days come upon this world... Lord, we know there's going to be a knock at midnight where people come knocking on the door of the church, come knocking on the doors of of, of Christians' homes and say, I need bread at midnight. I'm hungry at midnight. There's no answer in the midnight hour. Uh, Give me some of your bread. And Lord, we as a church are going to take the bread of life, the gospel of Jesus Christ all over this city and this state and this country and this world. And Lord, as we see these prophetic events happening in front of us, Lord, in such an amazing way that we're reminded the time is short and let's get after it. And so, Lord, we're going to in Jesus' mighty name. Can we lift our hands and say, Lord, in light of these things, help me to witness, help me to share my faith, and help me to be ready for the coming again of Jesus Christ. In his mighty name, I pray. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise tonight. Amen. Amen.